Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles, if you would. It's a blessing to be in church when people are happy. You know that? Somebody was telling me, and right now it's not coming to me. It'll come to me in a second. But somebody was telling me Sunday morning that they went to church, a different church, and everybody was filing into their seats, and it was dead and dry and depressing and... But man, it's not the same as being in a church where it's alive, man. Ain't that? It's great, man. God's good. Now, this is the, the lesson that I told you last time, two weeks ago or so, something like that, maybe three weeks now. I said, if you're one of these modern-day Christians, you need to lay out when we start Romans chapter 6. Just don't come. Uh, if, you, if you're one of these people that believes you can do whatever you want and live like the devil and go to church on Sunday and you know, have a little Jesus time and then go back to your life as is, just stay home. You're not going to like this chapter. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall, also be, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin." Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, Lord. Thank you for a church family that we can gather together with, Lord. It's great to have... Uh, unity and peace in this building and love one for another and we just thank you for it. Thanks for Dave and Ramona. Uh, thank you for giving them 46 years. We ask you to put your healing hand on Ramona and, and, and bless her and Lord even though the doctors aren't making any progress we just ask you to be uh, who you are and show us your power and, and take care of her and keep her strong and healthy. Heal her up we pray. And God I pray for Jamie's dad tonight. I pray that you'd be with him as he goes into surgery and that you'd use this to Draw him closer to yourself. If he's not saved, I pray you'd help him to get saved. Lord, help this to really shake him up and draw him to you. And if he is saved, Father, use it to draw him closer to yourself. And I pray now as we get into this passage that you'd speak to our hearts. Be with my mind. Be with my mouth. Help me to bring back to my memory those things that I've studied, Lord. And I pray that this would be a a teaching here as we go verse by verse through it that would really help to establish and strengthen and bless and help your people. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so great topic here for anybody who really wants to do right. Let me say this before I delve into it. There's been a a major, I would say, reaction, overreaction in our church culture, modern day church. 
that you look at and you see this, this completely um, unrestrained uh, personal lives of, of church people. Uh, it's like there's, there's literally no standards, there's no boundaries, uh, drinking's okay, uh, fornication can be, excuses can be made for it, uh, looking at things you ought not be looking at on the internet, excuses can be made for it, just literally living like hell. I mean like saved, born again people uh, that know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that if you ran into them in their regular week throughout the week, you wouldn't know any difference between them and a lost person. And, that, and, the, and the weird thing about it is it's, it's considered like ultra grace. They go so far as to be justify it because, well, I'm saved anyways, it's all forgiven. Um, it's, a, it's a different thing than the hyper dispensationalists. It, it's kind of the same common denominator, but it's a different thing than the hyper dispensationalists who will say you don't have to confess your sins to God in your personal life, because since you're washed in the blood, then when God looks at you, all he sees is the blood. And when you come to confess your sins and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, I messed up, I'm not doing right, help me to get the victory over my sin, I'm struggling here, would you please forgive me, that God looks at you and says, what sin, my son? I can't see your sin. That's a hyper-dispensationalist viewpoint, which is not true at all. When it comes to your salvation, you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, your soul is saved, okay? If you ask Jesus Christ to save you, there's no sin in your soul, but in your flesh you still are a sinner. Paul says, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And the Bible tells us that God will judge his children for living in sin, for living in, in, in a sinful life. You can't technically live in sin, by the way, but we'll get to that in a minute. But for, for indulging in sin and yielding to sin, God will judge his children for that. So you have to understand that. And you're in a modern-day culture that just says there's literally no rules. We don't even want the Bible as saved people because the Bible's too strict. That's where it takes them. Well, what it is, and the root of a lot of it, came from an overemphasis the other direction back a few years ago. Where all the preaching all the time got to where it was all about the old outside. It was all about what you wear and where you go and what you do. It was like, get them saved, get them baptized, and then make sure that they change their outfits, make sure that they dress a certain way and they cut their hair a certain way and they act a certain way and they stop drinking, stop smoking, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with those who do, right? It was pull them out of the world completely and get them all looking good on the outside and then they've arrived spiritually and listen, I'm sorry, but it completely destroyed an entire generation of saved people because they felt like since I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't cuss and I don't listen to rock music and I don't go to the movie theaters and I don't go to the beach and I don't go to this and I don't do that, then I'm spiritual. I look right on the outside. The women don't wear pants because a woman should not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, you know? And so that means that a woman shouldn't wear pants. And if the women don't wear pants, then they're spiritual. And it was like a, it was like a private interpretation of some of those passages because the preachers preaching that passage would then put on suits that contain different fabrics and different materials. And in that same chapter, it says you're not supposed to do that. It's a misapplication of what it's saying because the passage says, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. It's talking about cross-dressing. 
So it was like this big culture war that a lot of the Bible-believing preachers had against the hippie movement and against prohibition even before that. And it, it was like, look at the way the nation's going. And preachers started preaching politics and started preaching culture wars rather than just preaching Bible. Cultures change. And it really was a, a, a Trojan horse that I don't think they recognized that got slid into the church. And now you got a bunch of absolutely carnal, backslidden people that look spit-shined and look right on the outside, but are gossipers, are control freaks, couldn't submit to authority, couldn't follow God, are self-righteous and judgmental, and splitting churches over, well, those people don't have the right standards. Well, you stinking Pharisee, why don't you go somewhere else? We're reaching people. And we're reaching people that don't know the Lord. And the last thing I'm worried about is the outside. I want God to get their hearts. And when God gets your heart, guess what will happen to the outside? It'll clean up, man. You'll, eventually, the day will come, a guy gets saved, he gets saved late in life. Okay, that's the example. All right, that's the example. This isn't for some of you that have never been there. A guy gets saved late in life and he just goes to the bar and he's always going to the bar. I guarantee you one thing, if he really got saved, and he's really in that book and really loves God and comes to a church where the preaching is, is biblical and it's on fire and, and God's in it, that he's going to be like Friday night when he goes and walks in that bar like, this ain't really my environment anymore. So you know what you got to do? I mean, you got to have some patience with people. And if you're not going to be patient with people, you got the wrong place. I want people to grow, man. I'm not judging your outside all the time. But I'll say this. I sure can't stand a compromising bunch of people that start making excuses for sin and living like hell because the Bible says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And God does expect holiness out of His people. So to me, it irks me to no end to find out somebody sitting in the pew at church on Sunday morning. I mean, if you've been a faithful member here and you've been here a long time and you know better, you ought not be down at the bar on Friday night telling people you're from this church. You ought to know better. So, listen, excuses for sin and swing in the other direction so far because you wouldn't believe the way I was raised and all the stupid stuff and all the pressure they put on us. And like, really? So that means now we're going to go all the way over here and become complete liberals. Just live like hell, forget God and forget any biblical standards at all. That's, complete, that's, just, that's more wrong than erring on the side of being so holy that, you know, you go too far with it. You're going to go live with the devil's crowd, huh? It's kind of quiet. I don't know why it gets quiet sometimes, but it just irks me to no end. So here's what Paul's saying about the subject. Let's look at the Bible on the thing and see how God wants us to live. He says, what shall we say then? Well, what's that in context of? It's in context of verse 21. It says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. By Jesus Christ our Lord. So in context of your salvation, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That is exactly what the modern evangelical church is saying. They're saying, it's okay, it's really no big deal because you're forgiven. We're just here to affirm your faith. We're not going to preach at all about any kind of a standard of right and wrong, any kind of a standard of holiness. Listen, if you're sinning, you ought to knock it off. You don't be like, well, I got the grace of God and thank God for grace so I can just live like hell and it's all right. No, it's not all right. You're going to bring the judgment of God on your life and you're going to reap what you sow. Listen, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. 
and it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. There, there's pleasure in sin. That's the problem with it. But for a season, and then afterwards, it works death and destruction and ruin. It's a cancer in the soul. It'll wreck your life. It'll wreck your future. It'll destroy your emotions. It won't pay you very well. So you throw away, I mean, you know, just, just get right at it. You know, throw away a marriage over a few minutes of pleasure. You throw away a testimony over a bottle of beer. Over a pint of whiskey. You throw away your influence with your children over the words that you'll use and the things that you'll watch. And you'll, you'll throw away all that just because it's, well, it's fun. Yeah, for a season. Sin bites like a serpent, stings like an adder, man. You ought to get away from sin. This world presents sin to, and, and I'm sick of the way it presents it to our young people, as though it's okay. It's not showing you, it's not showing you kids, and I know you're back in school now, so here we go. It's not showing you kids what they look like after they've been ate up with AIDS for a few years. It ain't showing you kids what they look like, how, how the reality is some of the most brutal people and some of the most brutal murders you've ever seen in your life, some of the most violent people are homosexual people. They don't show you that stuff. They're presenting this false image to these kids. They're not showing you how messed up in the head young people get when you perform those surgeries on them and you start giving them all those chemicals, how whacked out they get. I'm talking miserable. I'm talking depressed. I'm talking, I'm talking mentally unstable. How whacked out they get. From, but they're pushing all that sin in your face. And I don't get it why you go after it. You ought to know better if you're saved. You ought not continue in sin that grace may abound. Now listen, I, I'm, I'm preaching. I didn't mean to preach. But you know, we're not preaching next week. So deal with it, right? Listen. You're here tonight. Probably because you want to do right. Amen. And guess what happens with you when you people want to do right? Guess what you find yourself doing? You find yourself messing up, don't you? Yes, sir. Come on, be honest. You mess up. What I want to try to give you is this. I want to give you a, a conviction about the sin. But I want to, as we go through here, I want to show you how to get the victory over sin in your life. Because it's one thing to just scream at you about not doing wrong. It's another thing to tell you you ought not do wrong and then, okay, so now help us do right. Guess what? You can do right. I'm talking about the victorious Christian life. I don't believe any of us ever gets to the point where we're at sinless perfection. Not, not in this flesh. You are looking at a sinful man. You understand me? Not one person gets to this point where, well, I can't stay at that church because the level is so high. You're not, you didn't listen to what I said at the beginning. I said what I said on purpose, with patience. We're not looking at you when you walk in here and trying to evaluate where you're at. And I have more to do with my life than follow you around everywhere you go and figure out whether or not you're living exactly like you ought to be living. That ain't my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And I'm not on Facebook or Instagram or any of the rest of it because I don't want to know. If I wanted to know, I'd get on and then I'd scope you all. And then I'd have a really hard time just getting up here and giving you the messages God wants me to give you because they'd be so aggravating me. I'd be shooting at everybody that doesn't do everything exactly the way I want them to do it. So I'm not on it. I want to help you. 
And I realize you're not what you should be. You know why? Because I realize I'm not. But I want to be, don't you? So shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Now watch this. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You know what you've got to realize to get victory over sin? You've got you to actually consciously think of this. You are dead to sin. Are you saved? Yes, sir. If you're saved, then doctrinally speaking, according to that Bible, doctrinally speaking, you're alive in Jesus Christ and you're dead to sin. Yes, you don't know the difference between you and a lost person? They are a slave to it. You have a choice. Lost people don't have a choice. You do understand that, right? So when you see that homosexual, or when you see that transgender at school kids, or, or when you see that person at work, adults, and, and you're like, man, they're so wicked, it's just so wrong, and they're doing all this stuff. Remember something. You have a choice. They don't have a choice. They are a slave to that sin. They're in bondage to that sin. That sin is destroying them. It's tearing them apart. It's wrecking their life. It's causing tears in their eyes and broken hearts in their families around them. You've got to get a little compassion about them and realize they don't have the choice you got. You have a choice. And you mess up when you forget, when you forget that I'm dead to that. And it's easy to forget because you're still living in sinful flesh. It's a tough one, ain't it, when you work with lost people? Because nowadays, the jokes are constantly perverted. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> the women nowadays are disgusting. I don't care if you're a supermodel 10 out of 10. I've never seen one other than Grace, but outside of that, you know. <laughs> when you're a pervert, you are Gross. Maybe I'm just getting old, but honestly, what's attractive is purity. Your worth, ladies, girls, your worth is a whole lot more than whether or not you can turn heads. How's that going to work for you in 40 years? Or what the scale says. How's that going to work for you when you're pregnant? You're nine months pregnant. You better find a man that cares about a little more than that. Because when you're nine months pregnant, there's going to be all kinds of other women that aren't. Hello, you got a lot more to you than that. You live in a perverted world, and it's tough. Because as a Christian, you shouldn't be laughing at the jokes. Now, now let me help you a little bit. Nowadays, if you start ripping everybody's face off for everything they say, you're not going to reach anybody. Take a little pressure off you, okay? Some of you kids, when you go to school, I wonder who you're hanging around with. I wonder when you're sitting at the tables in the cafeteria and they're making the jokes they are passing around the phones or whatever. Hey, look at this if you're looking. I wonder if you're different tomorrow morning or tomorrow at lunch. I wonder if you're a different kid than what we know you here. God forbid. I wonder if you sit there next to lost kids and giggle at their dirty jokes because you don't want to stand out. 
I'm not telling you that you got to go preaching at everybody and telling everybody what to do. I am telling you, you got no business laughing at their dirty jokes. Something weird happened to me a couple months ago, man. Some guy that I know said something, and, and, and you know how their minds are always working on multiple levels? I mean, you could say, hi, how are you doing today, and you don't know that it's some kind of an innu innuendo. I'm not saying I'm like, you know, so little lily white, you know, pure and holy. I'm not stupid. I've been around. But nowadays it's like, what? <laughs> Everything's perverted? And some guy said something, and, he, and I, laughed at, I laughed at him, you know, as we were passing, and, and then it hit me like, whoa, wait a minute. That was inappropriate. And so I turned around and said, hey, like that. He stopped and looked at me, and I said, I laughed because I didn't get what you were saying, but I just got it. And then I just kept, I, but I just got it. And then I turned around and walked away. You know why? I'm a pastor. I didn't shoot him down. I didn't chew him up. I didn't tear into him. I didn't nothing. I just felt really guilty that I laughed and I thought, man, the last thing I want is for him to go say, oh, I told a dirty joke to the preacher and he laughed. I've done it. I've been there. I've had to do it more than once. I try to reach people. I try to witness to them. And in the day and age you live in, in order to reach people, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You do understand that, right? And so for them to kind of open up to you, you do have to have some level of relationship. They're not my buddies and my friends. We're not hanging out on Friday. But there has to be some level of communication and relationship there. And in the process, it'll be like dirty jokes. And, and so you know what you do? It works great. Just put your head down. Pretend you didn't hear it. One guy said something to me and I just stared at him. And he like, <laughs> literally just, and still he started getting all uncomfortable and literally just turned around and walked away. <laughs> it's awkward. Yeah, he's awkward too. That's what I tell myself. Like I might feel awkward right now, but so does he. So just hang in there. Just hang in there. Just wait. I didn't rip his face off. He sees me now. Hey man, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good to see you. You just, you know, you know what you can do? It works. You can just turn around and walk away. Right in the middle of it, just turn around and walk away. And just leave them sitting there with their thoughts. And just pray, Lord, convict them. And it, it makes them all uncomfortable. I'm not trying to turn you into savages and you're tearing everybody up everywhere you go and feeling like you got to preach at them because you heard it. I'm telling you, you're not responsible until you participate. And you know what your testimony will do when you don't participate? Your testimony will speak volumes. It'll speak volumes. You know what they'll know? They'll know one thing about you when the going gets rough, man. When they get bottom, they'll know there's a genuine Christian out there that I can reach out to. That guy was nice to me. That guy walked away when he didn't appreciate what I said. He walked away. He let it go, and I can go to him. They'll approach you. You go ripping everybody's face off 24-7. They're lost. They don't have a choice. They're tied to that stuff. They're brainwashed with it. They're inundated with it. They don't have it. You have a choice. You can see things they can't see. You understand some things they don't understand. So you got to realize that God's using you to be a light, but you can't drive them all away either. But you can't compromise. It's tough, ain't it? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now watch this in verse number three. Know ye not, 
So many of us that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. And this is one of the proof texts that the Church of Christ will use to tell you you got to get baptized to receive Christ. Let me ask you a question. Okay, look at the text. We've been going verse by verse through our Bibles. Where have you seen water anywhere in the context? Why is it that when I say the word baptized, your mind automatically jumps to water? The trick of the trade, see that? You can take this passage of scripture and make it say what you want it to say. This thing ain't talking about being baptized in water. It's talking about being fully submersed into the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you these real quick. There's seven different baptisms. You can write them down if you want, but I'm going to give them to you, and, uh, and I'm going to turn to the passages, all right? So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for one. There's seven different baptisms in your Bible, believe it or not. And if you don't understand these, you get all confused as to where your doctrine's at and what's going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud... And all passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You know what baptism this is? This is Moses' baptism. You know who it's for? It's for Israel when they're coming out of Egypt. They had a cloud above them, that's water. And they had a, a line of, a, a, a wall of water on this side and a wall of water on that side. And they were submerged in it as they're going through it. There was water all around them. That's Moses' baptism. That's not the only baptism. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 3. Here's John's baptism. Matthew chapter 3. Now, some of these yahoos out here, you know, I mean, literally, I just, I just, I challenge their intellect. It just shocks me how dumb some people can be. They preach that John the Baptist was the first Baptist. It's where the Baptist church was founded. Christ hadn't even died on the cross yet. Not even in the New Testament. Insanity. Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. There's three different baptisms in that one verse. The one we're looking at right now, and don't forget this passage because we're going to show you the other baptisms here in a second. The one we're looking at right now is John's baptism. John's baptism was for the nation of Israel before Calvary. Remember, they were coming out, and he was like, you generation of vipers who told you to flee the wrath to come. They were coming out to John and getting baptized. It was Israelites getting baptized before Christ died on the cross. That was John's baptism. That has nothing to do with believer's baptism that you experience, but it's in the Bible. There's two more baptisms right in that verse. He says, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Do you see that in your King James Bible? You know what the newer versions will do? They get rid of the word with. You know why? Because the charismatics tell you the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the baptism of fire are one and the same. Baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. And the cloven tongues came down like fire. It says like as of fire. They weren't cloven tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2. They were cloven tongues like as of fire. The, the similitude, the illustration is like as of fire, not cloven tongues of fire. That's not the baptism of fire. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is what you got when you got saved. You got submersed into Him. The baptism of fire is hell. 
It's the lake of fire. It's for the, for the damned of all dispensations. Anybody who wasn't saved spends eternity in the lake of fire, and that's the baptism of fire. And this one shows you the two different ones. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. You need to get saved and submerged into the Holy Ghost because if you don't, and with fire, those are both baptisms Jesus will give you. You pick which one. You either get saved or you don't. But either way, you're getting baptized by Jesus. How's that? <laughs> Then there's Peter's baptism. Go to Acts chapter 2. Here's another one they break their necks on. Acts chapter 2. Peter's baptism is another national baptism for Israel, and it's right after Calvary. So right before Calvary, you had John the Baptist. Right after Calvary, God gives the Jews another opportunity to receive the Messiah. He said to the Jew first, right? And also to the Greek. So he gives the Jews another chance to receive their Messiah. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, did you see that? I'm sorry. Ye men of who? Israel. Jews. Yeah. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, just like he gave him in the Old Testament when he was bringing him out of Egypt which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord, all, Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh did rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, and thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, see that? Israelites. Peter was a Jew. Let me, uh, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, Jewish heritage, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, Jewish, According to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, David's throne, Jewish. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David, Jewish, is not ascended up into heaven, but he saith unto himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou upon my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel, Jewish, know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, they're convicted, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Jewish. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know how many people nowadays tell you you've got to be baptized for salvation? That's Peter's baptism to the Jews after they crucified their Messiah. How did you get the Holy Ghost? By being baptized? Well, you know there's people in the book of Acts that were. That's how they get it. That's how they got them. They hadn't, the Holy Ghost hadn't fallen on them yet, so they got baptized. When they got baptized, the Holy Ghost fell. I believe that's Acts uh, 9 or 10 or something like that. Uh, 8, something like that. It was Acts 8. 
But then they come across some Gentiles later on in the book of Acts, and I think that's chapter 10. And they said, well, can any man forbid these the water that have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? They already had the Holy Ghost before they were baptized. you got to understand the difference between the Jew and the Gentile and the church of God. That's a different baptism. That's not your baptism. Does that make sense? Yes, Clear as mud? Okay, let's go to the next one. i got to keep going. So if you got questions, I'm here, all right? Baptism of suffering, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, it's another baptism. So every time you see the word baptism, you don't jump right to water. That's, an, that's, a, that's your mind not slowing down and studying the word of God that you jump into conclusions. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 22. Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they say unto him, We are able. You know what baptism he was baptized with? Suffering. Take up your what and follow me? <laughs> that I may know him. Sound good? So far. And the power of his resurrection. Sound good? I want to know the Lord and the power of his resurrection, don't you? Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, we're not done with the verse. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable into his death. You know, that's why sometimes it seems like when it rains, it pours. Seems like when you got one problem, three more show up. You know why? He's trying to conform you into the image of his son. It's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. The baptism of suffering is a tough one, man. Baptism of the Holy Ghost. I got a bunch of verses on this. Um, I already gave you the baptism of fire in Matthew 3.11. If you want to write down Luke 3.16, that's another one. Baptism of the Holy Ghost. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I probably won't give you all the ones I got, but let's look at a few of these. Acts 1 verse 5. All right, so Jesus Christ has already died, buried, rose again the third day, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're in the Acts of the Apostles, right? Yeah. The Acts of the Apostles is not a doctrine book. It's a history book. Yeah. You understand that, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it gives you the history of the Apostles and what transpired after the resurrection. And in chapter 1, verse 5, For John truly baptized with water... There's one baptism, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. The well, Holy Ghost hadn't come yet, hadn't baptized them yet. You're in the book of Acts, you're in the New Testament. You guys see how these churches get all messed up in their doctrine and start thinking baptism saves them and all the rest of that stuff and you could lose your son. You see how easy that would be if you didn't have somebody teaching you the Bible and showing you these verses and searching out and setting in order this stuff and showing it to you? Once you see it, ain't it clear, man? It just starts, I mean, the more you study, the more it's like, wow, oh, duh, now I get it. It's all there, man. It's an amazing book you got in your lap. But boy, when somebody wants a lie, they'll get it. Yeah. You can get it right from a Bible. Acts chapter 11, please. Acts chapter 11. Look at verse 16. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. See the two different baptisms? There's a baptism with water, 
and there's a baptism with the Holy Ghost. So every time you see the word baptism, especially in Paul's epistles, don't jump to the conclusion of water. It'll mess you up. They're separate things. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. Keep going to your right, 1 Corinthians 12. And if you can't keep up with all this and you want the notes, I'll give you my notes so uh, you can take a picture of them so that you can get all these baptisms laid out with the references. And I even got underneath them here who it's to and what it was for. All right. So if you want a picture of that, just let me know and you can get that after church. Actually, I'll just stick it out there in the lobby on the, on the little shelf. I'll stick these notes out there and you can just take a picture of it to look at these verses later. Okay. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized... By one spirit. Are we all baptized into one body? It's not baptism in water. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. Guess what you got when you got saved? You got baptized by the spirit into one body. That's the body of Jesus Christ. Man, ain't that great? You are fully submerged, man. You're in. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, you are in, man. That's a great thing, boy. All right, go to Galatians chapter 3. Uh, yeah, Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse uh, 16. No, verse uh, 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then, ye are, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Alright, so you've all been baptized into one body, at, into Christ, you've put on Christ. You got that? That means when you got saved, you put on the new man. You got Christ. You're baptized into him. One more, Ephesians chapter 5. And then we'll go back to Romans. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. One body. Baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Jesus Christ and your members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. Back to Romans chapter 6, please. With that in mind, understanding the different baptisms, and I'll leave this out there for you because there's believer's baptism too that you should already understand by now. If you've got questions over any of these, come see me, but I've got to keep moving here. Look at verse 4. So since we're baptized, he said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? He's like, don't you realize this? This is the question he's asking. Don't you know this? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Now we already covered what baptism that is. That's not water. That's by being submerged into him. You put on his body. You're buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So he's saying if you got saved, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you are dead to sin. You have a choice now. You don't have to sin anymore. 
You can knock it off. Don't you know that he died to sin and that you were buried with him? Folks, the reason we're baptized into water is because obviously it teaches us that in the Bible, Matthew 28, 1 Peter 3 and all that stuff. But not only that, water is a sign of the judgment of God. You're buried into that water and then you come up out of that water to walk in newness of life. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a testimony. It's a first step of obedience. It's an ordinance that God left the church, but it doesn't save you. It doesn't give you some kind of a sanctifying grace like some people literally teach that there's a covenant between you and God that gets created when you get dunked in water. Huh? Show me that in the Bible. Where are you getting that from? Every baptism that's there, I showed you all of them. There's seven different baptisms in the Bible. You can't find one reference where a baptism is some kind of a covenant deal or a covenant grace or extra grace with God. That's ridiculous. Do you know some tell you, this is the Baptist brighter's position, that when you get dunked by a Baptist preacher in a Baptist church, you become part of the bride of Christ. And that if you're saved, but you haven't been baptized by a Baptist preacher in a Baptist church, you're part of the family, but you're not part of the bride. What did those guys smoke to come up with a doctrine like that? That's insanity, folks. You can't find that stuff in the Bible. You've got to realize that that thing is a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you when he saved you. And one of the greatest things about being saved is being able to walk in newness of life. It's a blessing. It's encouraging. Why do we get this attitude like, man, serving God, trying to quit sin and living a holy life, it's going to be such a drag. It's not a drag. Yes, it's a battle. Yes, I hate it when I fail. Yes, I struggle. Yes, there's temptations. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's tribulation. All that stuff is real. But anything I've ever done for the Lord, whenever I get one right, man, the payoff on that is wonderful. Just a clean conscience. If that's all you get from it, just having a clean conscience is such a blessing, man. Just thank God, man. Walking in newness of life. I don't, I don't want to be Mike Reagan in the flesh. There's all kinds of stuff about Mike Reagan I don't like. Counterproductive to helping anybody. It's counterproductive to being a good dad or a good husband or a pastor or a Christian. It's counterproductive to anything. I want to walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Colossians tells you you've been planted, you're supposed to be rooted and built up in Christ. You know what it's all about? It's all about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Christian life, folks. That's what it is. It's walking with Jesus. And listen, if you're letting sin reign in your mortal body, if you're continuing in sin that grace may abound, your relationship with Jesus Christ can't be right. He's holy. He expects holiness. So when you're not living a holy life, your relationship with Jesus Christ is being hurt. And if you're truly sealed by the Spirit of God under the day of redemption and His Spirit is in you, you cannot be, you cannot be, you cannot be happy. Grieving his spirit 24-7. Your life won't work out. So how do I get victory over sin? You got to know something. That knowing is half the battle, right? Know, know the fact. 
that you're now dead to that stuff. So when temptation shows up, because it will, just because you're saved doesn't mean the old temptations won't come back. If you liked alcohol before you got saved, you'll like it after. If you liked fornication before you got saved, you'll like it after. If you were a cusser before you got saved, you'll be a cusser after. You understand what I'm saying? You're still in that flesh. So recognize that just because you got saved doesn't mean you're automatically walking on water. It means now you got a choice to make. And you ought to know, know something about yourself when the temptation shows up. Say, I'm dead to that. I know that I don't have to do that. I used to be addicted to that. I used to just fall into that pattern. I used to constantly walk that way. But now I don't have to do that anymore. I'm dead to that. And get those roots down in Jesus Christ because it really is about him. It's not about your mom and daddy, whether they're watching you when you're at the lunch table at school. It ain't about your wife, brother, whether she's there or not. It ain't about your husband, ma'am. It ain't about your church family, folks. It's about Jesus Christ, and he sees everything there is to know about you. It's about you and him. You're supposed to be planted in him, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Don't you know that? Is that a blessing? <laughs> Thank God for it, boy. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That we henceforth should not serve sin. Guess what you will do, just to, just to help you for a second. You will sin. You shouldn't be a servant of it. This is what we mean when we say keep your accounts short with God. When you mess up, fess up. And the quicker you fess up, the better off it'll be. Don't let it drag on. Listen, don't let it drag on. Stop it. Stop it now. Get a grip. The longer you keep planting the wrong seeds in your mind, young people, the harder it's going to be later. You better, you better fess up now. You better get right tonight. Not giving you an altar call, but you need to go home and get next to your bed and get fessed up. Verse 7. For the, he that is dead is freed from sin. You've been set free. Now oh, those Christians, you know, you can't do anything. You're living in bondage. No, I'm not living in bondage. You guys can't drink. Watch this. You guys looking at me? I can do what I want. I just don't want to. I really, I really don't want to. I mean, if you need dope, if that's what you need, if that's, if that, oh, you know, if, if you need that, I'm, I feel bad for you. I'm not being a jerk. I honestly feel bad for you. That's what you need to survive life? You can't just wake up and be happy? Something's wrong, man. You're, you're dead to that stuff. That means you're free. You're not, you're not in bondage. Did anybody, who, who, who did I call and say, you need to get to church tonight or you're kicked out? Anybody? Any takers? You came because you wanted to. That ain't a drag to serve the Lord. It's a blessing, man. And some of you drug yourself in here and barely made it through the song service, and then before 20 minutes in, you were cracking up and having a good time because you're free. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. So it ain't all about trying to get the victory over sin all the time. You see, when you always preach at the sin and focus on the sin all the time, 
You make the sin get bigger and bigger and bigger because your focus, all you can see is the sin. Does that make sense? Does the devil ever get on some of you? Don't raise your hand. Does the devil ever get on some of you about your your mess-ups, about the fact that you constantly keep messing up the same thing over and over again? And the more you mess up on that, the more that thing pulls your attention to it. And the more you focus on it, the bigger it gets. Why don't you stop and say, you know what, I'm dead to that, but I'm alive to him. So, man, I get to live. If we were dead with Christ, we also get to live with him. So I might have messed up, but I read my Bible. I might have messed up, but I fessed up. I might have messed up, but I'm trying again. I'm back up and going after it again. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Folks, this is a great verse right here. If you'll underline verse number 9, especially if you got a Catholic background or Catholic friends or family members and you want to explain something to them. We don't believe in a crucifix. You know what a crucifix is, right? A crucifix is different than a cross. A crucifix has Jesus still hanging on it, right? And I haven't been looking around, so if you've got one on, you know, just talk it real quick and don't worry about it. We're not going to get on your case. Some people innocently wear them and don't understand. But the problem with the crucifix is it's keeping him dead. The Bible said, Cursed is any man that hangeth on a tree. And it says, He became sin for us who knew no sin. You know what Jesus Christ became on that cross? Sin. When you keep him on the cross 24-7, I think they have some weird teachings on having one of those on when you die and the extra benefits you get. Yeah, some of the more devout Catholics have told me that, unless I'm mistaken. Come on, man. He's not, he's not still on that cross. Just take up your cross and follow him. I have no problem putting a cross up. People have asked me why we don't have a cross up here. I mean, it's neither here nor there to me. Take up your cross and follow him. A cross is a curse. Crosses are all right, you know, whatever. You're supposed to take up a cross and follow him. But the religious relics people get hung up on. Don't get hung up on that stuff. Christ ain't still on that cross. He's alive, man. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now watch this. We're almost done for tonight, so watch this. Likewise, like him, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you've got to know some stuff about yourself, and then you've got to reckon yourself. Reckon yourself. Know that you're dead to it. And then reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto it. So when the temptation shows up, you just got to step back for a second and say, okay, now wait a minute. Do I really want that? What's that going to produce in my life? Do I want the guilty feeling that I'm going to get, the dirty feeling that I'm going to have? Is it worth it? Folks, it doesn't all have to be you know, some kind of wicked, lustful stuff. It can just be your envy, your unforgiveness, your strife, your self-righteousness, your bad attitude, your rotten, unthankful spirit. You're comparing yourself with everybody else and competing with other people. Your jealousy. Is it worth it? You don't know what they did to me. You know what? You can't hurt a dead man. Literally, I get my feelings hurt. And that, that thought has stuck in my mind since I heard it years ago. You can't hurt a dead man. 
So I guess if I got offended, it's because my flesh is alive. But if I'm dead, don't bother me. That seems, you know what that seems to me? That seems like a powerful way to live, man. Just a powerful way to live. Just like, didn't that make you mad? No. Didn't that offend you? You know what he said about you? I don't care. Not, I don't care. Like, I don't care. Why not? Because it don't matter. I'm dead. What matters is what God thinks. He's all right. He's still my friend. No problem. You got to reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. You want to live a victorious Christian life? You need to know that and you need to reckon it. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now watch this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. I already said it. I hammered it home. I think you got the point. It's a choice. For a saved individual, you choose to sin. It's obedience. Watch verse 13 and we'll stop for tonight with this one. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You know what that's saying? That's saying this. Simply this. Whatever direction you lean is the direction you're going to go. If you yield towards sin, you'll go into it. I tell you right now, because you're still in a sinful body, if you yield that way, you'll go. But if you yield toward Him, that's the way you'll lean. It's a choice. You and I choose what we do, and then we live with the results. So now let me leave you for tonight with this thought. We'll stop at verse 13. We'll pick it up in 14 next time. Most of you have heard me say this before. If you haven't, you need to memorize this. And if you've heard me say it before but haven't memorized it, you need to memorize it. God will fellowship with a man or woman who has sin in their nature. But God will not fellowship with a man or woman or child who has sin in their heart. That's Romans 6.1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Do you still sin? Are some of you still struggling? Do some of you have big struggles that you really need the victory over and you've been fighting for a long time and you're not getting it? The fact that you're fighting and trying and still coming shows me it's not in your heart. God will fellowship with you and help you, but if you don't learn to reckon yourself dead and if you don't know that you're dead... And if you don't yield the right way, then you're not going to get the victory. You're not going to get the victory. The three words from this passage, we're done. The three words, know, reckon, and yield. And if you get a hold of those three things, it'll help you with living the life, living a holy Christian life, living a separated life. It'll help you with getting victory over sin in your life. All right, I hope that's a blessing to you tonight, and uh, we'll go ahead and stop there. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer.